the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you are here with us. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in your Son, our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As I've mentioned a couple times over the last several weeks, we just had the shortest Advent season possible this year. Indeed, the fourth Sunday of Advent was Christmas Eve. And I suspect that the shortness of Advent this year was part of the reason that Christmas seemed to really sneak up on me. This year, perhaps more than most, even though there were, of course, about the same number of days between Thanksgiving and Christmas that there are every year. Now, for some people, a short Advent might not be a big deal. Uh, For others, maybe it becomes a problem in that it truncates the amount of time you have to shop for presents or to decorate your home. But in my house, the primary casualty wrought by a short Advent is the dramatic minimization of the number of Christmas movies that we get to watch. This year, my family watched only Home Alone, A Christmas Story, and Holiday Inn. We just celebrated a Christmas season, impossible as it sounds, with no Miracle on 34th Street, no It's a Wonderful Life, and no White Christmas. Have we even had Christmas? And that's to say nothing of the more niche Christmas movies that have come with me from my childhood, like a movie I was thinking of called Christmas Eve, which stars Loretta Young as a rich old woman who hires a private detective to find her estranged children and get them home for one last Christmas before she dies. This is a film that features her butler, played with great panache by Trevor Howard, quoting 1 Corinthians 13 in open court during a mental competency hearing. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a Christmas movie. (laughs) And of course, I haven't even mentioned a Christmas carol. Some of you will recall that I said in the sermon after our own Christmas pageant that How the Grinch Stole Christmas was the second best-known Christmas story after, of course, the literal Jesus-starring Christmas story. But even as I wrote that, I knew that I was mistaken, because it's a Christmas carol. But I had to save a Christmas carol for today. In my ministry, if you've been with me for any length of time, um, you, might as, you might start to think that the Sunday after Christmas might as well be called Christmas Carol Sunday. Uh, every year on this Sunday, this story, this famous Charles Dickens novella jumps into my mind because this reading... This reading from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, which is assigned to this Sunday after Christmas each year, and in which the Apostle reminds us Christians that we are no longer under the disciplinarian of the law, this reading fits so perfectly with some of the imagery offered 
in Dickens' classic tale. Now, as many of you will certainly know, A Christmas Carol is about an awful old man, Ebenezer Scrooge, who is visited on Christmas Eve night by three spirits, the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas yet to come. They show him the mistakes he made in his past, the troubled life he's creating for his employee in the present, and how little he will be loved and missed in the future. And after the events of that fateful night, Scrooge wakes up a changed man. He embraces the Christmas spirit, vowing to, quote, keep Christmas all the year. That's a very simple story, one of the reasons it's such a classic, much like how the Grinch stole Christmas that we talked about after the pageant. Scrooge starts the story as a bad man, and Dickens ends the novella by describing him like this, quote, He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world. So Scrooge began bad and ends good. The best person, in fact, in the whole world. But I don't want to talk about the end of the story this morning. I want to talk about the beginning, because it's not so much Ebenezer Scrooge that makes the first Sunday after Christmas into Christmas Carol Sunday. It's Jacob Marley, his deceased business partner, dead already for seven years when the action of the story kicks off. Because while the three famous spirits, Christmas past, Christmas present, Christmas yet to come, show Scrooge versions of what was, what might be, and what could be on earth, it's Jacob Marley who comes to actually preach to Scrooge, to warn him about his eternal fate. And when Marley's ghost enters Scrooge's room on Christmas Eve night, He does so dragging a huge and heavy chain with him. He's all tangled up in the links, and there are enormous weights hanging from this chain. And when Scrooge asks him the meaning of the chain, Marley responds, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the length of the strong coils you bear yourself? It was as full, as heavy, as long as this seven Christmas Eves ago. You have labored on it since. It is, Marley says, a ponderous chain. This is Marley's warning to Scrooge. And it's such an effective scene because it rings so true to us. The things that we do in our lifetimes, they build up, they accrue. And in the afterlife, we will either enjoy the reward or pay the price for what we've done during our life. So take care. This is, of course, Santa Claus's Christmas message stretched out over an eternal timeline. You better be good. Because someone is watching, making a list, checking it twice. Your evil deeds 
are building up into a ponderous chain that you will carry with you into eternity. Now, in his letter to the Galatians, Paul writes to a people who are worried about their chain. Remember, for context, that Paul has been to this area of the world, what is modern-day Turkey, as part of his apostolic mission. He's preached the gospel and planted a church community there. But then he's moved on. And a group of false teachers has come in behind him. These are called the Judaizers. And they've started to tell the people there in Galatia that there are some things that they need to add to their faith, in this case, circumcision, but as far as Paul's concerned, it could be any good work or work of righteousness. The Judaizers are teaching these Christians that they need to add something to their faith in order to really get right with God. And this, you might imagine, has some people worried. It's just as if Jacob Marley has been visiting the Galatian churches telling them they haven't done enough, and scaring them to death. So what does Paul do? He hears about this, and he writes a letter back to them. At the beginning of this letter, not part of our reading this morning, he chastises the Galatians for even listening to this new teaching. Are you crazy? He asks. Are you so foolish? Why are you worried about chains now, he might as well be saying, when Jesus has promised to set you free? But now in our reading, a little bit later in the letter, having called them on the carpet for believing this false teaching, Paul now wants to reassure them. Now he has a comforting word for these worried people. Christians. Now, he says, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now, now that faith has come, We are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. So what is Paul saying here? What is his message to the Galatians? And what is his message to us this first Sunday after Christmas? Well, Even though Paul begins in the same place as Jacob Marley, he ends up in a very different place. He ends up with much better news than Marley's ghost can offer. Marley's message to Scrooge is simply, shape up, 
I'm going to send these other spirits to knock some sense into you. Because if you're not careful, you're going to end up just like me, punished for all eternity. And that's where Paul starts. Before faith came, we were imprisoned, guarded under the law, until faith would be revealed. We were, in other words, just like Scrooge, with a ponderous but invisible chain attached to us, imprisoning us. But the good news is in Paul's tense, because he's talking about the past. We were imprisoned, but not anymore, because now Christmas has come. Faith, he calls it, has come. But now that faith has come, he tells these worried Galatians, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. Christmas has come. The incarnation has happened, and God's promise is kept. Christ has arrived. Faith has been given, and you have been set free. St. Paul here, as we see so often in our week-by-week interpretation of Scripture, is speaking in two ways. His first word echoes a Christmas carol. It's a word of commandment, of law, of warning. Before faith came, outside of Jesus' intervention, you would have been right to fear the weight and size of your chain. It was indeed ponderous. You were dead, he will write to the Ephesians, in trespasses and sins. And the law's purpose is to show you that. To reveal to you the size and weight of your chain. That's why the law is given. But Paul's second word, his final word, his good news, is a word of promise kept, and it's so much better than the shape up that is all Jacob Marley can offer. Paul has good news for us prisoners. Every single link of the chain that you have forged by your sin has been laid on your Savior. Jesus Christ. And because of him, you are free. And now, unlike Jacob Marley, who has to drag that eternal chain around and haunt past business associates, you actually get to go on and live a life. It is for freedom, Paul will write in chapter 5, that Christ has set us free. And guess what? This freedom is not just a one-time gift from God snipping your chain. This is the gift that keeps on giving. God has more to offer you. Because of what Christ has accomplished, you actually do wake up in the morning a changed person. Because of Christmas and Good Friday and Easter, you are literally a changed person, raised to new life, in Jesus Christ. Like Scrooge, who became good and bought the biggest turkey at the market for the Cratchit family, you will live a life marked by love, mercy, forgiveness, and justice. But not because you were scared straight 
by four terrifying spirits. No. This is not some new set of chains that keeps you obedient. This is your newfound freedom that will inspire obedience. Your life is marked by these good things, these fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of these things because you did in fact die with Christ and were in fact raised to new life in Him. Your good works are now done not because you've put on a different and better set of chains, but because God has set you free from your chains and gone ahead and set out good works for you to do in advance. That's what we pray in our post-communion prayer every single week. We'll pray it today. We thank the Lord for the good works that he has prepared for us to walk in. Your good work, this new life, is God's gift to you. It's part of the promise. And the overriding message of Christmas is that God has come and he always keeps his promise. So when Dickens closes a Christmas carol with those lines, he became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world, it sounds like ridiculous hyperbole. And for Ebenezer Scrooge, it is. Because fear of consequences, the warnings from all of those spirits, supernatural chains can only motivate change for so long. But fear of consequences is not what is happening for you. Fear of consequences is a new set of chains, and you have been set free. You are no longer in chains. You are no longer under a disciplinarian. You have been made a promise. You are now as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a person as the good old city knows, or any other good old city, town, or borough in the good old world, but not because of what you've done or are doing now, or will ever do. Your goodness now comes as a result of what Christ has done for you, is doing in you, and will do for you. He's good, and by faith you are in him. And in him you are adopted into his own family, a son or daughter of Almighty God, an heir of his promise. When the fullness of time had come, the exact words that we hear about Mary's pregnancy, when all was ready at Christmas, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, Sinners, you and me, might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Hear me, 
you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. This is good news for you this morning. You are a beloved child of God, an heir. You have received, because of Christ's finished work for you, all the love, all the acceptance, all the welcome home that Christ himself deserved. Now, because of him, it is yours. Now, because of him, your chains are gone. Now, because of him, you are free. Free to live the life, the new life that he has given you. Thanks be to God who saves through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.